All right. Whenever a, a nation is conquered in battle, then the conquered country uh, has all its treasures taken away. Uh, they go in, they take all the treasures, and they pillage all the treasures of that country. And then something else happens. And it's called the dismantling of a nation. You might wonder why some of the things happen in the Middle East the way they're happening. Why they're destroying antiquities and taking out treasures, blowing them up. Well, for centuries, actually, from the time of Alexander the Great, not only did you conquer a country and take their treasures, you dismantled the nation. And whether you understand this or agree with me or not, I want you to understand that right now, our nation, our nation is being dismantled. It is being dismantled. You say, well, we weren't conquered. Well, in the eyes of a lot of our enemies, those who serve Satan, they have won. They've won the culture war. That's what they believe. They actually believe that. And I want you to think about the three elements of the dismantling of a nation. First of all, the change of our, our identity. It tells us in the book of Psalms 11.3, it says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? No, there is no doubt the foundation of our country is a Christian Judeo foundation. That's the way our foundation was started. You go all the way back to the founding of our country and our laws, everything, were based upon Christian and Judeo principles. Well, today, that's not the way it is. Secularism, humanism... And every kind of false god has replaced the foundations of our country. And it is amazing what has happened just in the last few years. I want you to read a quote from Thomas Jefferson. He said this. He said, can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that their liberties are a gift from God. And I want you to understand that by and large, that has been removed from our nation. Why? Because our foundations have been shaken and changed. And we have changed the identity of our nation. 40, 30, even 20 years ago, we were a Christian nation. That believed in God. We feared God. We honored the Lord. We honored righteousness. And today, it's not that way. In fact, righteousness is ridiculed. The second thing of dismantling of a nation, and that is the corruption of our integrity. And Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness Exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any nation. There is no doubt that once righteousness, fair play, doing the right thing, telling the truth, those were all things to be emulated and followed, but no more. No more. Perversion. Every kind of immorality is promoted encouraged and flaunted. The integrity of our nation has been taken captive. And I know when I say things like this, I'm not talking about you. Because I believe that because you're in the house of the Lord and you have a hunger for God, this may not necessarily apply to you as a person. But I want you to understand, I'm talking about our nation. 
that these are things that they do to dismantle the nation. And the last, and for me the most important, the capturing of our children. Whenever they want to dismantle a nation, they focus on the children. Why? Because our children are the greatest gift to future generations. Our children determine the direction of future generations. And so the way we teach and train our children will, in essence, determine the direction of our nation. It's just the way it is. Because as we grow and we die off and older people pass away, then the young people rise up and however they are taught and their principles and their heart and their desire and their righteousness, then will lead or cause the nation to falter. And I say this with sincerity. Our children have been taken captive. And we're going to study from the book of Daniel. A nation that was conquered. The Babylonians came in and took over the nation of Israel and captured Jerusalem. And we read the story in the book of Daniel of of young men that they took captive. And they brought them to Babylon because they wanted to change who they were. They wanted to capture the hearts and minds of their children. They saved the ones they thought were worth saving because they believed they could change their hearts and their mind and the rest they murdered. And our children have been captured. Our children used to be trained up as a nation with the sense of hard work, character, fair play, following the rules, living righteously, and honoring God. But today, our children have been captured and taken away into a land of entitlement. Where our children believe that they're entitled to everything. And when they've been captured by that perverted sense of entitlement... They can no longer dream their own dreams and they can't fight their own battles. They're held captive to this idea that somebody is going to take care of me and somebody is going to give me everything. It's a lie. And so our nation stands at the precipice. And there's no better book to study right now than the book of Daniel. It is a timely book. Because as we look at the book of Daniel and we see what happens, you will see that, especially in the first two chapters, we're going to look at the two events of chapter 1 and 2. You will see that what happened is they were taken captive. And these were young men. These were teenagers. These were probably somewhere between 15 and 18 years old. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know them as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see there, four of them that had Hebrew names. Every one of their names that they were given from birth all said something about honoring the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In each of their new names, they were given new names. Daniel became known as Belteshazzar. Bel was the god Baal. And so each of their names, when some way, honored a false god. And I want you to follow with me as we look at principles and the events from the book of Daniel. And I want you to consider how we can stop the dismantling of our nation, especially our children. In a real sense, the integrity 
and the identity have been taken. The battle today and the eyes and the minds of those who want to pervert our nation and twist and turn our nation, the battle today is for our children. They're the last stronghold. That's why I think they're going to hold nothing back to come after our children. Soon they will attempt to outlaw homeschooling. There will be the attempt to outlaw all Christian education of every kind. They will come full bore for every area that affects children. And so, whether we like it or not, whether we want this to be this way or not, this is the reality we have to deal with. We are living in a nation where our, the culture is counter to everything we believe in. And so what we want to do is I want you to do more than survive. How many of you would like to do better than just survive? A lot of say, well, I'm just going to survive. Well, I want more than survive. I want to make a difference in this world, and I want to change the culture back toward righteousness and holiness. I want us to turn the tide and go the other way. And what we see in the book of Daniel, these four young men, they did that. They made a tremendous difference in their nation. And so what we want to do is we want to learn how do they do that. They even turned the heart of the leader of that nation from a heathen, pagan king who did not acknowledge God at all to where at the end, after the lion's den, he is acknowledging who God is and how great and mighty God really is. But it took some time. So we're going to look at several issues. The very first thing that I learned or that I can see, and that is we have to learn to choose our battles carefully. If we're going to turn and change the culture around us, we're going to have to choose our battles carefully. When these four young men got taken captive in, in Babylon, and immediately there was a test. What happened was the king said, I want all the young men. And most accounts said there were probably close to a 100 young men. We just had the records of four. But all of them were required to do certain things. They had to have a name change. They all underwent a name change. And all of their names said something about false gods. They had to learn a new language. They had to learn the Babylonian language. They had to learn a new culture. They had to learn to uh, interact uh, and, and, and relate with people in a brand new way in a new culture. So there were lots of changes. And I want you to understand that from everything we can see, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were able to adapt to that culture in many ways, and had no problem with it, but they stopped at one area, and they said, no, we can't do that. They picked their battles carefully, and the battle was over food and drink. Let's look at it. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 16, it says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. They've been beheading people for a long time over there. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of these ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. 
The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion, tested him for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. After, so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. One thing you need to understand about this is it wasn't just that they were eating meat. The meat were sacrificed and dedicated to false gods. Some of it was unclean, according to the laws of God. But worse than that, they had taken these and sacrificed these in front of false gods and dedicated them to false gods. And Daniel said, we can't do that. Now, think, think with me. They could have resisted in a lot of ways. They could have said, we're not going to put up with a name change. We're not going to learn this new language. We're not going to do anything you tell us to do. They could have dug in their, their heels and said, no, I'm not doing this. And they could have been martyred. Because probably they would have been beheaded had they had that kind of attitude. And in that same way, we can have that same attitude with our culture. You can be so mad and angry at the government. You can kind of dig in your heels and say, no, I'm not going to. I'm just, you know, you could just kind of be arrested for anything and everything. But what I believe I learned through this, you need to learn to pick your battles carefully. Because the good news is is that the method we present the gospel changes all the time. Our method of presenting it, that can change. But the message never changes. Brother Ben, uh, we had dinner with them the other night, and he was telling me about their trip to Albania. And he was mentioning how they're almost on every corner, uh, there would be three, four, five coffee shops. And I said, on every corner? And he said, yes, they're everywhere, little coffee shop. Because it is a part of the culture there to just sit down, take a break, drink up a cup of coffee, and visit and fellowship. And I thought, I like that. You know, this sounds like a culture I could handle. Well, the, 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 the pastor who came there from El Salvador, uh, Brother Carlos, he was kind of a goer and a mover and a doer and just ready to go. And he wasn't really excited about sitting down and drinking a cup of coffee. But he learned that if he was going to make a difference in this culture, he was going to learn how to, how to sit down and drink a cup of coffee. You know, up, up north, I have a lot of friend pastors up north in Wisconsin. Uh, one of them was sharing with me that... Uh, in Wisconsin, in the northern part, during the winter when it gets so cold, on the first two weekends of deer season, they have no church. It's true. They dismiss church for hunting season, and they all go deer hunting. The pastor and everybody. Of course, the deer season is only two weeks long. And so everything is about the deer hunting. And when they all shoot a deer, they bring the deer to the church. And they all have a big time, build a campfire in the back of the church and, and shoot the bull and have a great time. And I think, this is a culture I could handle. <laughs> this, this sounds great. But, you know, that probably wouldn't work everywhere. It's just part of the culture there in Wisconsin. And see, in different places, there's a different culture. And there are a lot of things we can adapt to. But we have to be willing to take a firm stand when it violates the Word of God. When the culture says, you have to do this, and whatever they're asking is a violation of the Word of God, we've got to have the courage of our conviction to say, no, I will not do it, I cannot do it, I will not violate what God's Word tells me to do. Now, you pick those battles carefully, but once you do pick that battle, be willing to stand your ground. And what they believed is, I think, something that we have to understand, and that is we have to be willing to put God to the test. Say that with me. We have to be willing to put God to the test. I want to encourage you today. We're living in a culture that's foreign to us, anti-Christian, ridiculing of Christianity. 
You may at home, maybe you get ridiculed because you go to church. You may get ridiculed because you believe in God, because you actually believe the Word of God is the Word of God. You may have a lot of friends who look down at you because you actually believe God answers prayer. At some point, folks, if we believe who we are in Christ, we have to be willing to put God to the test. And I love how Daniel made that decision His three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they they made that decision. We believe God will prove us right. And I don't think the power was in the vegetables and the water as much as it was. They believed that God would give them good health because they honored God with their conviction. And when you put God to the test, God's way will be proven right. It will be proven the best way. There are a lot of ways we can put God to the test. Let's say at work, everybody starts stealing from the company. And soon, everybody kind of is in on it. And it won't be long before they come to you and they say, Hey, man, we've figured out a way we can steal from the company. And the boss will never know it. And we want you to join us. Why do they want you to join them? <laughs> so if they get in trouble, you'll get in trouble. And, and so they won't feel quite as bad. But if you'll stand your ground and put God to the test, God will defend you. If you will make the right choice, put God to the test and say, God, I'm going to do the right thing here. God will honor you. I never will forget one of my experiences in high school uh, I went to Sweetwater High School in Texas and back then you know things were different than they are today but back then everything was drinking beer all the guys in high school you're super cool if you drank beer and so they had this big party coming up it was my senior year and uh, they had this party out at the lake Sweetwater Lake and everybody that was anybody was going to go to the party Big party. Had somebody's parents let them take their house out at the lake and they had, you know, they could swim. But anyway, the word around the high school was lots of beer is going to be there and everybody's going to get drunk and have a big time. All the women were going to be there. It's going to be a great time. And I had given my heart, my life to Jesus. And I had surrendered my life to, to do what he wanted me to do. And As soon as I heard about it, I already felt uncomfortable. And I thought, man, I can't do this. It goes against everything of who I was as a young man, as a teenager. And I never will forget when I made the decision to, to not go, oh, my goodness, you wouldn't believe the ridicule I got. The names they call me. I remember going to my daddy. I said, I told my daddy about it, and I already knew what he was going to say. As soon as I told him, he said, you ain't going. I said, good. <laughs> that way I told everybody, my daddy won't let me go. <laughs> but I'd already made the decision. I want to go. And something my daddy told me, he said, son, he said, you'll be better off. You'll be safer. And God will defend you. I don't care what they say to you. Well, it just so happened they made a little too, too much noise. And somebody in a camp next door called the cops. And the cops came in in mass and arrested every one of those kids because they were all underage. And so every one of the kids were hauled off to the jail. And all their parents had to come get them at the jail. So the next day at high school, I just kind of walked around. Hey, guys, what happened last night? Oh, man, I rubbed it in. Oh, man, I made them, I, I, t- I said, who made the better decision? My daddy didn't have to come get me out of jail. I was in bed. If you'll put God to the test by making the right decision, and if your decisions honor the Lord, God will prove you right. Folks, His ways are good Because they protect us. 
His ways keep us safe. God's not trying to keep us away from some fun thing that we that He doesn't want us to enjoy. It's to protect us. There are many ways you can put God to the test. You know, you can put God to the test in the area of your finances. I get a lot of people that tell me, you know, that uh, you, their friends can't believe when, when, you, when you say, well, I believe in tithing. That's a way of putting God to the test. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. It kind of is referring to that. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produced. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. God will bless you and take care of you. And I, I love the fact that he, he doesn't just say honor the Lord with your wealth, but with everything good thing you produce. That means your time, your talents, your resources, everything about you, you give it to the Lord. You give God the best part of that. Even if you read in Malachi chapter 3 where it talks about tithing, he says, if you will tithe, he says, put me to the test. Put me to the test and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you'll not be able to handle. We can put God to the test by doing the right thing, by honoring him in every area. Teenagers, I just want to encourage you. You have a great opportunity to be a witness to your other teenage friend at school by honoring the Lord with the decisions that you make. Not to drink, not to involve yourselves in sexual, all kind of sexual things that is going on, whether it's drugs, whatever it is. You can make decisions to honor the Lord by saying, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Even if they ridicule you, still make the decision to say, I want to honor the Lord. If you will, if you'll put God to the test, God will come through. Third area, and that is we have to be willing to believe God for supernatural abilities and gifts. Believe God for supernatural abilities and gifts. And, and this is what happens in chapter 2 of Daniel King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and, and the dream is a dream that troubles him, and, and so he wants an interpretation. So he calls all his astrologers and wise men and magicians and everybody in the kingdom, and he says, listen, I want you to tell me what my dream is and tell me what it means. And they all say, oh, we'll be glad to tell you what it means. Just tell us what the dream is. And he says, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> Anybody can fake that. Anybody can fake an interpretation. But he wanted the real thing. He wanted it from God. And so he said, no, I want to know what my dream is. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You tell me what it is. And then I'll know that it's real. Look, let's, let's read it. It's, it's really amazing. It begins in Daniel chapter 2, verse 5. It says, but the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn from limb to limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of trouble. So he was serious about it. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I'll give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. And they said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know I'm serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream." And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel. And his friends. Interesting. That they went to kill Daniel first. Kind of like. Enemies inspiring them. 
You know, God will put you in situations where you have to trust in Him. Tragedies happen in our life. But those tragedies become opportunities for God to supernaturally answer prayer. And this was a tragedy. All the men, all the wise men, all hundred of them, Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Azariah, they're all going to be killed as well as all the other men. All the ones they had taken from Jerusalem, they're all going to be murdered, probably beheaded. But God sees difficulties as opportunities for him to move in a mighty way. You know, I just want to say this. We're going to look in and see what happens. Pretty amazing, really. But we live in a society and a culture that needs to know that God answers prayer and he's a supernatural God. You read through the New Testament. How did the New Testament believers have such powerful impact in the world that they were living in? Because they were living counterculture too. How did they have such an impact? Because God wrought miracles amongst them. I'm going to ask you a loaded question here. Ready? How many of you here can God work through to do miracles? Come on now. How many of you here can God work through to do miracles? Every hand of every person should be up. I see some of you are like that. Some are like that. Some are like that. Some are like that. Why? Because you believe that God is an amazing God. And it's not you, but it is God. Every person here, God wants to work through. Not just the preachers. The Holy Spirit indwells all of us. And the gifting and the power and the anointing of God wants to work through every believer. That's how the church becomes impactful to a generation. Is that the whole church is willing to believe God for supernatural works and miracles. Let's see what happens here. It's pretty amazing what actually happens next. He goes on. Let's look at um, verse 14. It says, And Arioch, the king's commander, the, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill him. Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Yeah, if you're about to be killed, that's a good idea. He asked Arioch, who, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? And so Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. So he actually tells the king, you just give me some more time and I'm going to be able to come up with this. Verse 17, then Daniel went home, told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with other wise men of Babylon. That night, I love this, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, O God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we ask of you and reveal to us what the king demanded. He believed God for supernatural miracles and abilities. The very thing God is challenging you to do today. God wants you to believe him for supernatural ability. I want to tell you, folks, when the world is hurting And they're broken. And you pray for them. And God answers prayer. Their eyes are opened. Their heart is opened. All these people that are flooded. They're hurting right now. They're hurting. 
But this is a grand opportunity for God's people all over the state. In fact, all over our whole south region. I'm hoping people, Christians, respond from all over. Because this is a great opportunity for people of God to step in and say, I want to help. God cares about you. And to see God answer prayer in their life can encourage them. How many of you in this church have ever flooded out? Let me see your hands. A lot of people. You you know what it's like. You've gone through that devastating feeling of, I lost everything. It's an empty, gut-wrenching feeling. I've lost everything. What am I going to do? God is faithful. God is faithful. He will work on your behalf. May not happen quick. You know, solutions don't always happen the next day. But if you'll be patient, and let God work, God will work. He'll work. Look what happens next. Daniel is now talking to the king. And Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I'm wiser than anyone else that I know the secret to your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. You know, whenever we believe God for miracles and God does something amazing, we need to be really careful that he gets all the glory. That he gets all the credit. And Daniel is extremely careful in the way he says it. He doesn't walk in and say, Oh, I got the secret, man. I got the power. He doesn't try to gain the glory or act as if he's the smartest wise man in the whole place. He says, listen, nobody can do this. But I I know a God who can. I serve a God who is able to do anything. I serve a God who can reveal the secrets that he raises people up and he sets others down. And God has shown me that he has shown you what is about to happen. So his dream is going to reveal future events. So you might ask, what is the dream? Well, the dream was simple. He saw an image. A picture of a statue. Let's look at the picture of the statue. This is something similar to what Daniel describes. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, he says, You saw this great statue and the head was made out of gold. And he later tells him, he says, That represents you, King Nebuchadnezzar. The gold represents you. And then he says, The arms and the chest was made out of silver. He says, That's going to be the next kingdom. And the next kingdom was the medio Persia kingdom. And he says the belly and the thighs were made out of bronze. And that re- represents Greece. And they were the next kingdom to come. And he says then the last, the legs of the iron. And then the feet were made out of iron and clay. And history has told us that that was the Roman kingdom. Roman empire. But then he says something else which is amazing. Picks up in verse 44. Watch what he says in verse 44. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands that crushed the pieces of the statue of clay, bronze, excuse me, iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and the meaning is certain. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, look what he does. Can you believe this? 
Then the king of Nebuchadnezzar threw himself, Daniel before, uh, threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. Now, it doesn't say it, but I'm guessing Daniel is going, Hey, guys, not, not, you don't worship me. And then verse 47. The king said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the greatest of gods. The Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. Now, did King Nebuchadnezzar turn for good? No. He quickly forgot the lesson he just learned here. Because as we'll see in the next lesson, we'll see... King Nebuchadnezzar making one of those statues he saw in his dream and believing it represented him and then required everybody to bow down and worship. So he didn't learn his lesson real well, but he does near the end of the book of Daniel. And when I look at this and the first two chapters and the lessons, you know, the thing that jumps out at me and that is that verse 44 tells us He said, this is something that's going to happen. There is going to be a kingdom created that's going to be greater than all of the other kingdoms. And it will be a kingdom that's made and created by God himself. And that kingdom will never be destroyed. It will never be conquered. Who is he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Right there was a prophetic word through a dream to a pagan king. That is the kingdom of Jesus that would never be conquered. It would never be destroyed. And folks, God will defend you and he will bless you if you will stand firm for Jesus. That's what this tells me. God defended these four young men. And he kept them safe. And not just that. As you read the end of the story. King Nebuchadnezzar took these four. And he blessed them. He put Daniel as the head over all the other wise men. The chief counselor for the whole nation of Babylon. And then Daniel said, well, I want my three friends to assist me. And he put them in areas of responsibility. You see what God did? Through a dream that the astrologers couldn't handle, God used that dream to position these four men into a place of righteousness and influence for the entire kingdom. And God would use those young men to help redirect that nation toward righteousness. I believe God wants to use you. To use you. To help our nation turn back to God. But it requires something. It means that you and I are going to have to be willing to stand up for Jesus. We're going to have to resist the dismantling of our nation. We're going to have to say, no, you're not taking my children. No, you're not capturing my children. Or my grandchildren. Or me. I'm going to serve the Lord. Joshua said it this way. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. You can serve who you want to. But my household, we're going to serve God. And it's that kind of decision. If we're going to impact our culture, not just survive. I'm not interested in surviving. I'm interested in making a difference in our culture. I don't want to write our nation off and say, well, it's over. And a lot of people have. They've said, oh, it's over. I say, no, as long as there's a God in heaven, it's not over. It's not over. Our nation 
has not gone under. Yes, they've changed our identity. Yes, they've stolen our integrity. And yes, they're trying to capture our children. But there's hope. I have hope. And the hope we have is in God's people who will say, Lord, I'm going to stand firm for Jesus. No matter what happens. And I'm going to train my children. My grandchildren. We're going to stand for the Lord. No matter what the cost. And I just want to say this. If you make that stand. And you're serious about it. The day could come in our country. That there might be a high cost. You understand that? Because there are enemies abroad and here who want to do everything they can to tear the church down and destroy the church and capture our children. And if they can, they want to change the minds of our children. If they can't, they want to murder them. We need God's people to have that attitude, that courage of Joshua that said, as far as I'm concerned, me and my household, we're going to serve God no matter the cost. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. All week I've been praying, Lord, how do I conclude the message that you put on my heart and I just I feel like the Holy Spirit said call my people to make a decision today to commit their home and their household to the Lord that you will not waver no matter the cost that you would make that agreement with Joshua. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That you would have the attitude of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That no matter what, we're going to stand for God. If you would be willing to say, for me and my household, we're going to stand for God. I know we don't have room for everybody, but if you would be willing to make that commitment today, I'm going to ask you just to make your way down to the front. If you can't do it, if there's not room, I'm going to encourage you as families to hold hands wherever you are. If you can't make it down here, I'm going to ask you to hold the hands of your children, family. And I want you to agree in prayer with me. There's still time, folks. There's still time. We can save our children. We can save our grandchildren. Our country can take a turn back to God and back to righteousness. We can reclaim the nation that it has been and is being dismantled. There is hope. First. We have to make that decision. I'm going to say this real carefully. If you're willing to make this commitment before the Lord today, I just want to say this. God put you to the test. Think about that just for a moment. You will get an opportunity that this commitment will be tested. And you will have to make the decision. Hold firm to that decision to say, yes, I'm going to serve God. You may have some friends who try and pull you back, twist you, pull you. Maybe even your mom, your dad, your family members, they may all try to pull you away from serving God. I just want to encourage you to hold firm. God will honor you and bless you. If you're willing to make that commitment, raise your hands with me today. 
pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I give my heart to you, Lord. I give you my life. I give you my family. As for me and my household, far as I can and I can know, I give you, Lord, my life. I will serve the Lord. I will not bend my convictions. I will serve the Lord. I will hold to your word and honor you in every area of my life. Thank you, Father, for blessing me and my home. We thank you, Lord, for your protection and your covering. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, one more, one more thing. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Is there anybody here? I hate to go even a Sunday because we've had so many people who give their heart to Jesus. Is there anybody here? Because if you don't know the Lord Jesus and you hadn't been born again, this is hard to pull off. <laughs> Impossible to pull off. First, you have to give your heart to Jesus. So I know many of you have given your heart to the Lord. But if there's somebody here and you've never given your heart to Jesus and been born again, and you would like to be born again this morning, i just like you to slip up your hand. Anybody. Maybe you're down front. Maybe you're out there. Anybody. I just don't want to miss a Sunday if there's somebody. Anybody. Where are we? Yeah, come on up, if you would, kind of make way for. Anybody else? Anybody else? If you would just kind of let them come all the way down to the front. Anybody? Anybody else? I'm going to pray. Anybody? All right. Thank you, Lord. Just pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you. I give your heart. I give my heart to you, Lord. I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe in the blood of Jesus as the forgiveness of my sin. Come into my heart, Lord, and forgive me. Restore me, Lord. I am born again by the Spirit of the Lord. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name.